0: I preached on Joshua last year, and I still want to finish it up, but Judges chapter number four, and as we look at Judges chapter four, we look at verse number one, and we see that refrain that so often comes to light in the book of Judges. There the Bible simply says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. The children of Israel, the people of Israel did what was evil. Now again, we know from our study so far, and we know from our past study and in our own personal life, that the children of Israel over and over and over did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord, and that's the reason God needed to raise up the judges. But in this case, we have the fact that they do do wrong, and the Bible says that, that God sells them or sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. That's verse number 2. It's not on the screen. But as you look at it, you'll see that he sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, I ask myself the question, who is Jabin, the king of Canaan? And you may remember from our study of the book of Joshua, back in chapter number 11, we encountered a king by the name of Jabin back there. The Bible says that about that king, that they were at Hazor and that Hazor itself was taken by the children of Israel. And according to verse number 10 of Joshua chapter number 11, the Bible informs us that the children of Israel put to death the king of Hazor, Jabin the king of Hazor. If you read in chapter number 4, verse number 2, you're going to find the Bible says that God sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, And he specifies the fact that he too is at Hazor. Now from Joshua chapter number 11 until the time that we're looking at here in Judges chapter number 4, uh, we would have a very old man if he had lived, but we know that that king back there had already been put to death. And yet we have a Jabin there and a Jabin here. And that leads a lot of people to say, okay, there's a contradiction in the Bible. We have a Jabin that's put to death, and now later on we have him reigning again, so there must be some kind of contradiction there. Well, the answer to that is very simple. You know, sometimes folks don't want to look at the obvious. Suppose you were to read about Caesar, and later on you were to read about Caesar again, but there's a long period of time, we understand that the name Caesar was given to a lot of different people rulers. The same is true when it comes to Herod. There there was more than one King Herod. There's Herod the Great and Herod Philip and so forth. And that also separated by some time, we know that they were different people. You go back and you read about Pharaoh in the Old Testament, Pharaoh in history, and there were a lot of different Pharaohs. And so Pharaoh and Herod and Caesar are all names that are passed down to the different kings. And it seems that we have the same thing here. The ruler of the land of Hazor, the ruler of the land of Canaan, and by the way, Hazor uh, was said in Joshua chapter number 11 to be the center, if you will, uh, where sort of everybody gathered up. No wonder where he's here called the king of Canaan. But it seems that he, the king of that particular land, had already been put to death by the children of Israel, but someone else came along to begin ruling, and he inherited the name Jabin, king of Canaan. And so when we look at it, there is no contradiction to be found there, and we could talk about him and study more about him. But I want you to understand tonight that King Jabin is not the focus of this story. The Bible says that God sold the children of Israel into the hand of King Jabin, but he's not the focus here. There's another guy who comes clearly into focus that we need to look at and think about just a little bit. And I'll go ahead and tell you here, we'll talk about him more next week, okay, but we find that the commander of Jabin's army was Sisera. Sisera is one of the main characters in this particular story. If we look back at Jabin, his name is mentioned six times in the Bible, but Sisera is mentioned at least 19 times in the Bible. But I want you to read carefully tonight what the Bible has to say, joshua or rather Judges chapter number 4, what it has to say about Sisera himself. The Bible says, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. If I understand what he says correctly, It seems that Sisera is the one who is doing the persecuting. Sisera is the one who has the 900 chariots of iron under his uh, command. And it calls him, the Bible calls those 900 chariots his chariots. If you don't believe that, look at verses 12 and 13. When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harashath Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And so it seems that this Sisera was the one who was the thorn in the side of the children of Israel. It seems that he was what we might call the enforcer, the one who brought the the punishment, who dealt out the things that, that were hurting the people of Israel. He was the one that they feared because he was the one who was nearby. It was his wrath that uh, came upon the children of Israel. It seems perhaps even at his own whim. And so when he meets his end that we'll talk more about next week, we understand a little bit more about the, 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 the terrible fate that he suffered. But we understand that Sisera is the one who is the enforcer for King Jabin. But he's still not the one that we want to talk about tonight. You see, tonight we want to focus on another actor in this drama, a woman by the name of Deborah, who's mentioned here in this passage, and we need to study her and and think about her and what the Bible has to say in regard to her. Now, Judges chapter 4, verse 4, says this. Now, Deborah... A prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. As I read that, or when I read that, there's something that just jumps into my mind that that makes me wonder. And, And I just wonder, does it strike anybody else as odd that the first time in Scripture we find a woman, this is the first time in Scripture that we find a woman who has been placed into a leadership position in Israel. Now you think about that for a moment. The very first time. Go all the way back to the beginning. Whenever we have the first 2,500 years of mankind's history, what is that sometimes referred to as? That first great dispensation of time is called the patriarchal, Dispensation. The word patriarch has to do with father. God spoke directly to the fathers in order to uh, re- or put his message in front of the people. He did not call it the matriarchal dispensation. He didn't speak to the mothers, he spoke to the fathers. Even during the time of the nation of Israel, as it's being formed and after it came into being, we find first Moses being the leader. We find then Joshua being the leader. And then we get into the book of Judges and we got Othniel that we've studied so far. We have got Ehud, we've got Shamgar and so forth that we've looked at. And this is the first time that we have a woman who has been placed into a leadership position. Somebody looks at me and says, Well, preacher, it's about time that a woman is finally recognized as being one who can lead a nation. It's about time for for that to happen. You know, sometimes people say that and then they make a leap into the New Testament. And they say, well, if Deborah was fit to lead the kingdom of Israel or the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament, then surely women today must be allowed to be preachers and elders and so forth in the Lord's church. I want to tell you that is a a very large leap. It's a very big jump to go from Deborah in the Old Testament to what's found in the New Testament. And so I wonder why it is that we look at and we think about this woman. And I have to ask myself, is that really the case? that because a woman was allowed by God to be a judge in Israel so long ago, would would that make it okay for women to be leaders, take leadership roles in the Lord's church today? Now before we answer that question, let's study just a little bit more about this great woman and about the great story that we have here in front of us. As I look at it, I understand that the Bible identifies Deborah as the wife of Lapidoth. Now, again, I have to ask the question, who was Lapidoth? I know that Deborah was his wife, but who was Lapidoth? Really and truly, the Bible doesn't say anything about him other than he is the husband of Deborah. Some have speculated that Barak, who is another player in this story is actually Lapidoth. And there are Jewish scholars who write about that, but they write about it based on some flimsy evidence, and really and truly, there is not a lot of evidence that could be brought forth that Lapidoth and Barak were the same people. And so we're left to conclude That in this chapter, rather than making a jump, calling him one thing in one place and another thing in another place, we have two separate men. Another observation that I would like to make is the fact that Deborah and Lapidoth were married, but the Bible says nothing about her and Lapidoth having any children. Now, we're going to come back again to that topic in just a little while. There are no specifics that are mentioned, though there are some possibilities, and we'll discuss that more in just a moment. You may have noticed that the title of our lesson tonight is A Mother in Israel, but we'll talk about that more in detail shortly. Not only do we find that she is the wife of Lapidoph, but the Bible says that she is a prophetess. A prophetess, the Bible says do you realize that there are only three women in the Old Testament who are called prophetesses? Now try to pronounce that, say that fast three times, prophetesses. Only three. Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, Genesis chapter 15, verse 20. Deborah, here in this passage, And in 2 Kings 22, verse 14, and it's parallel in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 22, we have a woman by the name of Huldah who is called a prophetess in the Old Testament. When you turn to the pages of the New Testament and you go to the book of Luke, chapter 2, at verse 36, we read about a prophetess who had spent her time at the temple from the time that she had been married to the time that she was, uh, uh, became a widow, she lived with her husband, but from that time forward until the time that she was, what, 84 years old? She was now staying constantly at the temple. Her name was Anna. and She had a, had a response to the Lord when he came as a little bitty baby. And uh, she spoke about him there. Not only that, but in the book of Joel, back to the Old Testament, chapter 2 at verse 28, Joel wrote and said, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And when we go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18... We read how that that was fulfilled in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost and in the early church. Because in the book of Acts chapter 21 at verse number 9, we read about Philip who had some unmarried daughters who the Bible said prophesied. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse number 5, the Bible says, Paul writes, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. Now what is a prophet or a prophetess? A prophet being a man, a prophetess being a woman, of course. What is one who is a prophet or a prophetess? Well, simply put, they are people who receive a divine revelation from God a divine revelation from God of some sort it may be that they foretell something to foretell something means that they tell the future if you will they tell what's going to happen even though it it may be years or centuries in the future they tell exactly what's going to happen The prophets did that in regard to Jesus. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He's going to to make certain statements while he is here, such as uh, uh, the ones that he made on the cross. He's going to be betrayed by someone who was given 30 pieces of silver. And on and on and on we could go, and we understand that they foretold future events. But not only did prophets and prophetesses foretell certain events, they did some forth-telling, if you will. What do you mean by that in forth-telling? Well, simply, they relayed the message that God gave. Whatever it was, it may be concerning uh, something that was happening at that very time. And in this passage, in this book of Judges, We find Deborah relaying a message that God had given in regard to a man by the name of Barak and how he was to be the one who would go out and take the army against Jabin and his commander Sisera. And so Deborah is one who is a prophetess according to what the Bible has to say. Not only that, but the Bible also says Oh, let me just, before I leave that, let me just make this statement as well. Sometimes we have people who make statements that, that preachers today are prophets, the prophets of today. But preachers of today are not necessarily parallel to the prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, I've never had anything revealed to me that was foretelling the future. And the only divine message that I'm able to relay is the one that anybody can relay because it's found right here in the Word of God. And so there's differences between the Old Testament prophets, even prophets in the New Testament, and the preachers of today. Matter of fact, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, whether there would be prophecies, they would cease to be. And so if there are no prophecies, then we have no prophets today. But Deborah was a prophetess. Not only that, the Bible says she was judging Israel at that time. Judging Israel at that time. The word judge or some form of it is found about 181 times in the Old Testament. That word is defined in this way to decide, to vindicate, or to execute judgment. That's what a judge was. They were one who decided cases, who vindicated or executed judgment against others. Their purpose usually was to settle disputes between the citizens of their nation. Whenever there was some civil thing that arose between two people in the nation of Israel, at this time, Deborah was the judge that they came to. Many of them, at least, came to her to have this wise lady Decide their judgment. But usually it was between the citizens, but sometimes God used them to settle disputes between his people and those who oppressed them. Thus we have what we read in the book of Judges. When we have men like Ehud and Othniel and Shamgar, remember Shamgar went out killing 600 men with an ox goad. And so sometimes God settled disputes, if you will, between his people and those who were pressing them using the judges. In Judges chapter 4, verse number 5, the Bible says she used to sit, talking about Deborah, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Being a prophetess and a judge, God revealed to her how he would settle the disputes, not just between the people, but between Jabin, Sisera, and the Israelites, through Barak and eventually through Jael. And so God revealed in that way. But again, as I come back to this thing, why did God use Deborah? instead of some man. We're we're back to that oddity of the matter of having a woman judge, a woman leader, if you will, in Israel. You know, through the years, I have heard (laughs) preachers preach on Deborah. And through the years, I have heard some really good lessons in regard to Deborah. But there's one thing that I have never heard, as far as I can remember, unless it was when I was really young and and just simply don't remember it, is I have never heard anyone attempt to explain why God used Deborah, a woman, rather than using a man in a leadership position. But folks, we're not left to guess. The Bible is clear. The Bible tells us why. Deborah herself explains why. God chose her, God used her, rather than a man at that time. Let's let her explain. If you go to the book of Judges, chapter 5, you read what's called the Song of Deborah. Okay? And there are a lot of of information that's given there in chapter number 5 in regard to events that were taking place in that day. She, She has her song that they sang at that time, she evidently being the author of it. The Bible says in Judges chapter 5 at verse 7, these words, the villagers, reading from the English Standard Version, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. Now that's where I got the title of the lesson that we'll come back to again in just a little bit. I know I'll keep putting things off tonight, but we'll get there eventually. But what I want you to focus on is what's in uh, bold and underlined. The villagers ceased in Israel. Now, if you look at that from the English Standard Version, and you say the villagers ceased, it, it seems to say that there were no such thing as villages that were left. And yet, as we look, we know that's not the case. They had places, villages, if you will, where groups of people lived. If you turn to the King James Version... It doesn't help a whole lot because it translates it in the way that's on the screen. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. Well, again, that really doesn't help because that would seem to indicate that all the villagers had either died or something happened to them. They ceased to be, and, and that's not the case. We know, okay? So I go to the New King James And the Bible there says, translated in the New King James, and the New King James says it this way, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Now that's still not real helpful, but it does help us to understand that things were not as they always had been or should be in the villages. The village life itself was disrupted for some reason. There, there, there was something distinct, distinctly different about it. There, 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 something had gone haywire in the villages. But the American Standard Version, I think, helps us more than any. The rulers ceased in Israel. They ceased until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. The rulers, the leaders, if you will, They ceased to be. Nobody was leading the villages. That's why it went haywire. Nobody was taking control and making sure that things were done in the way that they should be done. And Deborah informs us of that in Scripture. In other words, we have somewhat of a foretaste of what was to come later that you read about two times later in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was nobody to to bring things together. There was nobody to give them direction. There was nobody to help them to do the things that were right and good. By the way, whose responsibility was that to be the leaders in Israel? Well, it would have been the men. But the men... Of Israel had abdicated their proper role. That's what Deborah seems to tell us. The men in Israel weren't stepping up, the men in Israel weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And hence, Deborah stepped in and began to judge in Israel. You know, that has been a case a lot of times, hasn't it? Where men have just sort of fell by the wayside and let somebody else take their responsibilities on. What does God say about the home and male leadership in the home? Notice in the book of Exodus, or rather Ephesians chapter six at verse number four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Whose responsibility? Is it in the home to make sure their children are taught? Well, a lot of times we leave it to the Deborahs, don't we? We leave it to the mother. Men have abdicated their responsibility of teaching their families. No wonder they're falling apart. No wonder we have so many who have gone astray because men have abdicated. That's not to say... That, that, that mothers are not good. But when we fail to do it the way God intended for it to be, things just don't always work out. They sometimes go haywire, don't they? God left it to husbands to be the head of the household. Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his, is himself its Savior. Husbands are to imitate Christ in leading their homes, including their wives. They're to lead with love and gentleness and dignity and confidence in all of the characteristics that Christ himself has. What if Christ himself stepped aside, abdicated his position as head in his church? Where would we be? Just like they were back there. Everybody would be doing what's right in their own eyes. If we didn't have clear instructions now, unfortunately today many have pushed Christ aside and substituted their own beliefs and thoughts in place of Christ. But Christ is in no way abdicated. He will judge them. They will stand before him and answer to him for what they have done. But just imagine for a moment that he just sort of stepped aside and said, All right, y'all, it's yours. Do it the way you want to. If you think there's chaos on the religious front now, what would it be if Christ Himself just turned everything over? Men are to be the leaders in the Lord's church. Both elders and deacons and preachers and so forth, the evangelists, are in the masculine uh, uh, gender in the New Testament. Not only that, but in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, at verse 8. Paul writes. This message from God, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. The word for men in that particular passage is not the general word for mankind. It's the word for males. I want the males, the men, to be the ones who pray. And it's in that same context, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, that we read these words. Let a woman, as opposed to the man, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue to in faith and love and holiness with self control. You see, God has laid out the plan. He wants mankind, man, uh, among the human population, He wants the male to stand up to take the leadership role. Not to be a dictator, not to be hard headed, not to be the one who is served, but to be the servant. God wants men to be the leaders. That stopped happening in the days of Deborah. The rulers in the villages, the rulers among the people, they ceased to be. They quit taking the responsibility that God had given them. And hence Deborah had to step up to the plate. Deborah had to become that mother in Israel. And that brings us to that particular thing. Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. Two things that we could say about that at least. Number one, even though she was in the role of a mother, even though she had children at home, even though she had, she had been one who, who had borne those children of her own body, she now has stepped up when the other leaders, when other men won't do it. And that's why I said, you know, we're not told for sure that she's a mother. It could be that that's what he's having reference to, or it could be she didn't have any children of her own, but she took on the nation as her children. And like a wise mother, she was advising them and helping them to settle disputes. And when the people would come to her, it was like going to your mother. And she was helping them understand what was good and what was right. She was judging between them but what about from the standpoint of her being a mother in israel what about the fact not only was she a judge but she was a prophetess and we had to ask that question earlier you know Is it okay because she took this position that she would be one who, or or that people in the New Testament could also do that if men just wouldn't step up or or there were no men uh, who were willing to do it? Let me just remind us of a couple of things that's found back in the Old Testament, especially about these two other women who were prophetesses. Notice what the Bible says in regard to Miriam the prophetess in Exodus chapter twenty or 15 at verse 20. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. Now watch this next part. And all the women followed after her with tambourines and dancing. Who was Miriam prophesying to? seems from this passage she was... Dealing with other women, even in the Old Testament. But again, in the book of Second Kings, chapter 22, at verse 14, So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam and Achbor, and Shaphan, and Asiah, went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikbah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. Here's some men who are leaders who go to her and talk to her. Doesn't seem like she's a Jeremiah who's out in the public square preaching or or some of these other guys, but they go to her. Sit down in the privacy of her own home, and they ask her a question that had been revealed by God to her. And so again, you know, it's a great big leap to say, well, just because Deborah was a judge and a prophetess, we can, we can allow those kinds of things in the, in the New Testament. But let's keep on going. I want you to understand that Deborah called for Barak to lead in battle. Now you think about what's happening here. You go back to the book of Judges, chapter 4, beginning at verse 6 and going through verse 9. She sent and summoned Barak the son of Abinoam from Kedish Naphtali and said to him, watch this, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? She's talking to Barak. God has commanded you to do something, Barak. Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, And I will draw out Sisera, the king of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. You see, God had given the responsibility to Barak. God had given the responsibility to be the leader to this man. Deborah had to remind him of it. Has not God given you this command? The only thing that Barak could say was Yes. God told me to do this. God appointed me to be a leader. And I just haven't been willing to do that. He didn't didn't say it in those terms, but we can read between the lines. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Barak said to her, If you'll go with me, I'll go. If you won't go with me, I won't go. she said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, watch this, the road which you're going on The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera under the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. The road that Barak was on was what? The one of disobedience of God. The one of not taking the leadership role that God had given him to take. If you'll go with me, I'll go, Miss Deborah. Well, I'll go because God has commanded it. You know, it almost appears that Deborah had a bigger backbone than Barack. It almost appears that she was more faithful to God than this man. If you will go, I'll go. I won't go if you don't go, but if you'll go, I'll go. The road that you're on won't lead to your glory. God will deliver the hand. Because you refuse to take the responsibility that God has assigned to you, God is going to deliver this cruel enforcer for 20 years into the hand of a woman. That wouldn't be Deborah's hand, by the way. Deborah's not the one that's going to extinguish the life of Sisera. We haven't read about that. He meets a very terrible end. But it would be Jael. And we'll talk about her next week. But she had, to, she had to press him. She had to push him to stand up and be the leader that God wanted him to be. Isn't it wonderful? that we have good and godly women who will press us men to do what we need to do sometimes. Sometimes we need some prodding, don't we? We're like Barack. And I'm so thankful in congregations of God's people for those good and godly women who will stand up and push the leaders to be the leaders that God wants them to be. Barak said if this woman would stand by his side, then he'd do what he was supposed to do. Deborah made it clear that God was not pleased with what Barak was doing. And God delivered Sisera into the hand of Jael. But Deborah, this woman, pressed Barak. And she went with him. And he did fight against Sisera. And he did defeat the army. Before we close our lesson tonight, though, I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. Continue to remember that Deborah has pressed Barak to do what he's supposed to do. Okay, don't forget that part. And then when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith. Now you can connect Barak, who through faith did something. He's in that list. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies, armies to flight. Well, we know that along with Gideon and Samson and so forth, Barak was able to do that. And he's said to have done it through faith. But he wasn't really willing to do it at first. But you know what? Barak is no different than Moses. Because Moses didn't want to do it at first either when God told him to go deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. Lord, I can't talk good. Well, we'll get Aaron, your brother. He comes up with all these flimsy excuses and God answers all of them. What about old Gideon? He didn't want to go either. He hiding in the wine press. But he was convinced to go. And there are others who, who had their weaknesses as well, even Samson himself, didn't he? Mentioned in this same list. But Barak, he had them too. Who got Barack into the Hall of Fame of the Faithful? I think Deborah sort of pressed him to be what he was supposed to be. It's amazing to me Deborah's name is not there. Barack's is. Why? He was the chosen leader. He was pushed by Deborah to do what was right. She went with him and I hesitate to say it this way, she held his hand as they were going into battle in a figurative sense. She seems to have pressed him to do what he needed to do. Ladies, you may not be able to stand and speak in a pulpit like I am tonight. You may not be allowed by God to be an elder in the Lord's church. You have your place that God has assigned. But it is of utmost importance. If I ever preach something from the Word of God that you can't find there, I hope everybody will, but I hope there's some sweet sister that'll help point it out. Preacher, you said that wrong. You need to you need to change that. We'll sit down, we'll study the word of God. If I made a mistake, you know we'll we'll fix that. Deborah, she stood up when it seems nobody else would. What a significant event. Though she was a mother in Israel. She pressed others to do what was right. Isn't that what mothers do? Do what's right. Well, we'll talk more about this particular story next time. We're completely out of time tonight. But we need more Deborahs in our world. More who will push us and prod us and get us to go forward. Always doing what God wants us to do. Maybe tonight that you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe there needs to be a Deborah in your life to press you and push you forward to do what's right in the sight of God. Maybe your life's not right with God and you need a Deborah to stand up and to say, you need to get your life right. Maybe you already know what you're to do, that you need to become a Christian or that you need to get your life right and you want to do that this very night. If we can assist you in any way, why don't you come right now? So together, we stand and sing.
1: Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See, on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you. Aho!
0: One announcement toward the end so it will be fresh on your minds, and that's the teachers, 6th grade on down. 6th grade on down, after the dismissal prayer, in just a few moments, please meet downstairs in the old fellowship hall. And if you want to be a teacher, you're also invited to that as well. If you're present this evening and you have not had the opportunity to complete your worship and give of your means, you may uh, miss yourself at this time through the back door there to my right, your left. Go down the hall and you'll be waited on and served at this point in time. Thank you so much for your presence here this evening. We appreciate your being here. Remember, Wednesday night, 6.30 for our midweek Bible study. Please make your plans to be present for that.